0: here season two of rolled up and joining me for a few intros is my best friend in the whole world we've known each other since 1989 which is insane because i was born in 1988 i don't even remember becoming friends with with colin davidson who whose voice you'll hear in a moment and he's also the co-host of bricks and clicks another show on the rolled up network and While we've been friends for over 30 years, we kind of accidentally ended up in the same place. Now, you know me as a podcast host and serial entrepreneur. Colin is a mathematician and he's a partner at Omnium CPG, which is why he's hosting a podcast about the grocery industry with his one of his other partners at Omnium, Johnny. But we're going to be doing a few intros to give a little bit more insight and color into consumer products, but ones that aren't quite as sexy and not getting a lot of love. So Colin, welcome. Thank you for joining me for season two of Rolled Up.
1: Hey Lucas, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And this first episode, we were talking how direct consumer and e-commerce has been the sexiest thing of the last couple of years. And people are saying, but but what about retail? Brick and mortar is dead. We're going to go a step further in this episode and talk about convenience and convenience stores and really how that is e-commerce in a nutshell, which is a game of logistics and operations and really connecting consumers in the last mile. And we're going to chat for a few minutes about some of those trends that we've seen from smaller, more independent, direct-to-consumer-ish brands have had on larger players.
1: I actually started in the industry working on a baby food brand. So Plum was one of the first clients I ever worked on in the CPG space. So this is the one where I, I made my bones. So I have a very special, uh, very special place in my heart for baby food, even though I don't have any children.
0: Two guys without kids are about to give not quite parenting advice, but everyone's (laughs) favorite thing weighing on, on the topic. But it is interesting because we're seeing consumer trends shift to wanting something healthier or organic. And a lot of times you have to work hard to get that, either finding the product or even just if it exists or paying a little bit more or ordering it online versus being able to pick it up anywhere from 7-Eleven to Whole Foods to to Amazon.
1: Yeah, we're seeing this huge shift towards um, not only healthier food, but I think healthier behaviors and habits in general, which I am a big fan of just for the good of our society. But what always goes along with this, with any consumer shift is of course, we live in a capitalist society. And so there are going to be companies who are continuing to try and profit off of this. So as health and wellness becomes more popular, it gets kicked into overdrive because hey, there's money to be made and people are going to try and make it. The really interesting thing that I see though, is yes, there's, there's big companies making money on these trends, but it's really the small companies that are driving the ship here in the baby food space specifically. Plum Organics was really the pioneer with, with, first of all, taking organic ingredients, exceptionally high quality ingredients to the point that sometimes there's only like one farm in the world that grows this organic product, like an organic purple carrot, for example. And so they're doing a really good job there, putting it in a pouch, it's all brand new. And what happened with Plum and what happens in a lot of other spaces is the big companies, so like Gerber, they're seeing this and they're paying attention and they're changing the way that they go to market to imitate these smaller innovative brands who are really meeting a consumer need. So it's cool to see that, that, that the, the real heart behind this healthy, healthy lifestyle is percolating its way up and driving decisions that big brands are making and really forcing them to put offerings out there that the next generation of consumers wants to see available.
0: Mm -hmm. And if you are born today and you only really eat good, healthy, organic foods in lower waste packaging, that's going to be your mindset for the rest of your life. Whereas you and I grew up eating microwave snacks after school. It wasn't about health. It was about convenience. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting. And it does tee up this episode with Susie York, the CEO of Love Good. That's really, really nicely. And is there anything else that that you think would be interesting just in the, the trends of the shift to more natural or more healthy foods?
1: Yeah, the low sugar trend is a really interesting one that seems to pop its head up every now and again. It's really fun for me to see all the different ways that companies take sugar out of products but they have to add sweeteners back in so uh, so it's something interesting that's out there all these really cool new types of sweeteners and i'm interested to see um, as we learn more about them are they actually all the sweetness without any downsides or are there some things we're missing there i'm kind of watching that one it's
0: funny how you you'll be more health conscious and then you don't want sugar but you'll have a lot of chemicals for for lack of a better word versus really just eating quality foods that your your body's craving.
1: Mm-hmm. like maybe just have an apple instead of the uh, the bunch of new compounds in uh, in those gummy candies.
0: Oh that would be far too easy Colin
1: <laughs> No money to be made there.
0: no apples Oh, horrible margins. Enjoy this episode of Roll.
2: If you had told me, or I had told the board back in '17 that we'll be 50 million or in that range by year two, they would have said you're crazy. But it can happen. But you just have to put the steps and keep at it and trust that these small steps can lead to some pretty amazing accomplishments and I'm one of thousands and thousands of examples around the world.
0: Susie, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Rolled Up. Not only are you the CEO and founder of Love Good Fats, a healthy bar, and I believe you have some mixes as well. I'll let you uh, share your full product line in a moment, but you're also an 11-time Ironman competitor, yoga enthusiast, And you've gone through your own health journey, which led you to start Love Good Fats. And before, you were a 30-year veteran of the CPG industry, so you brought the experience from big high-profile companies like P&G, Pepsi, Kraft, Weight Watcher, Zeg, and more. And you really brought your marketing background and your personal journey to to really start Love Good Fats in, in what is the quintessential founder story of starting in your own kitchen and being in Canada. It's less competitive than in the U.S., but it's much harder journey to really start a, a grocery startup or a CPG startup because it is capital intensive and it's hard to go out and raise that capital. They sort of tell you friends and family, but unless you, not everyone has access to just go and get a quarter of a million dollars from their friends and family. So that that's a, a hard journey, which you've really powered through and you've even been recognized several times since launching including the mompreneur startup award the wxn top 100 bmo entrepreneur award and the rbc canadian women entrepreneur awards one to watch did i miss anything there susie
2: no, that's quite a, a nice intro and a handful. I think there's a, a, a bunch kind of packed in, like my 50 years kind of packed into that intro. That's wonderful, Lucas.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. It's always a, a privilege to have someone who's so accomplished join me in the studio. But with somebody who's done so much, one of my favorite questions to ask is really, how do you identify? How would you, when you introduced yourself, how would you I- identify as Susie York? And then what comes after your name?
2: Well, you know, I I certainly identify as uh as no labels. So I would pretty much just say I'm Susie. That being said, um, you know, I'm a proud mom of two kids and I live with my partner. Uh, she has two daughters, so two stepkids. I'm really proud of my career. I'm also uh, you know, I'm also proud to say I live I grew up you know, without much, I shared a bedroom with my mom in a small apartment. We, we had for 13 years and I have a twin brother and I, you know, paid myself through school and kind of figured out I, you know, I, I kind of was really good at math and wound up in a business career. So I proud to be a part of the LGBT community. Now I'm an entrepreneur founder. I'm a former marketing executive I kind of don't have labels, but I have a, uh, I have a lot of kind of little sound bites to talk about, but you know, I'm kind of just,
0: there's just so much there that you're, you're almost underselling yourself with, with everything that you've accomplished. It's not, not such a small contribution or as, uh, it might not be as small as you, you think.
2: There's so many gifts in the world. I, uh, and so many people who have so much to offer, I, I have, gaps and I've messed up in a bunch of areas but one area I hope I'm you know trying to do my best is being a, a good mom and a, and a partner and and you know my contributions on on the business side I I'm very very passionate about what I believe in and I've I've been misinformed we've all been misinformed for so many years and oh, I've have. eaten a bad low fat diet for 20 years. So once I kind of figured, man, you know, I want to get the word out and do my small part to make the world a better place. Like that's kind of how I'm able to do that by just getting a brand out there that basically screams, you know, fats are good and sugar's the enemy.
0: And it's just so common as well with sugar being subsidized, especially in the U S it's not an easy or fast journey at all. Where do you think some of your, your motivation comes from? And I mean, we we're talking before we started recording that I, I've done a couple of small triathlons and I'm pretty, pretty bad at, at swimming. And yet you've done completed Ironman and triathlons, which I think a lot of people are just happy if they can cross one off their bucket list. Where do you think that motivation comes from to just take on such such grand ambitions and then make it happen?
2: You know, I'm a little bit older, Lucas, you know, I'm 54 now. And one of the biggest things I've learned is just one step at a time And I remember when I was young, I would, you know, want to climb these big mountains, like, you know, and kind of achieve these big milestones. And I kind of really looked up to these people who had achieved the big milestones. But what I kind of realized the hard way is, you know, you just put one foot in front of the other, and you stick with putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, you'll shock yourself in terms of what you're able to accomplish. Whether it's on, you know, the personal side, there's lots of people going through, you know, personal growth and challenges from, you know, physical, mental health to your career to running a, a 5K to all the way a marathon and an Ironman or to launching a company. Like they're all kind of in the same spectrum or, you know, I, I climbed my way out of you know, a childhood that didn't have a lot uh, in terms of kind of, you know, some financial or kind of even family support or tools to kind of become one day a, a, an accomplished businesswoman. But, just one foot in front of the other, and that journey, as long as you're taking kind of the right steps, and that journey of commitment, whether it's you know physical uh, with exercise, and then eventually running, and that leads to Ironman. It really is just one step in front of the other. You know, I I'm not gifted with the gifts of, of DNA of professional athletes and stuff, but I was able to kind of you know with a full time job, put one foot in front of the other, and work out every day, and get to the start and finish line of one Ironman and then whoa like another one another one then get on the podium and get in the world championships but it really was you know I still pinch myself and I'm like I'm not the this gifted athletes that all these these really good athletes around me were and but you can still amaze yourself and and then I was riding my bike with lots of men and cycling groups and I'm like whoa you know by the time midsummer came around, I'm cresting the hill ahead of uh, all of these guys, and and it was the same with my startup, and my career and my startup. But the the startup was, you know, really just three three and a half years ago. It, it was an idea on a PowerPoint. Ninety eight percent of the startups in in natural in the U S. fail. It was just really like okay, you know, but I'll do the steps. You know, I'll do the step on. Coming up with the brand idea and do all the consumer research and consumer work and validation that leads to packaging and positioning and all the stuff we know, and then product samples. And then I have that, you know, now I have a PowerPoint with product samples. And then I go to Whole Foods and then I go to the distributors, which are Unify and Purity in Canada. And then, whoa, you know, they say, wow, this is a big idea. My little PowerPoint that, you know, made off my little laptop. And then, oh, you know, now I got to make full production. Oh, we have a big fail there and that's a big mess. That doesn't work. Oh, got to go at it again. Find another partner, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, by year two, we closed the year at 47 million in sales, right? And I remember the the month we reached 1 million, which was March, uh, no, sorry, May 2018, total life sales. We reached a million in, in month eight or something. And I was like, you know, that was party night. That was like, Oh my goodness, holy Toledo. And then, you know, barely a year and a bit later, we were like 7 million per month, right? Like it's just little steps. And if you had told me, or I had told the board back in 17, that we'll be 50 million or in that range by year two, they would have said, you're crazy, but it can happen. But you just have to put the steps and keep at it and trust that these small steps can lead to some pretty amazing accomplishments. And I'm one of thousands and thousands of examples around the world.
0: I'm in awe by it, by everything that you you just said, and then you wrapped it up so so humbly. I could, uh, if I had accomplished one of those those things, I think everybody would know about it, including yourself, because <laughs> I would definitely buy some billboards on the Gardener to just tell everyone. So when you say world championships with the Ironman, did you do? Does that mean that you did Kona?
2: You bet. Kona 1994. Wow. And, uh, you know, it, it was pretty, I, I tried uh, quite hard to go back um, in my 40s. And, it, it, you know, I had a full-time job. I was juggling a bunch of stuff. And, um, you know, I missed it by six seconds, misqualifying by six seconds, by two and a half minutes, and by four minutes. So I was pretty close. But it is a combination of how good you race that day When and you've been training for a year for that, you know, one day, and then who shows up. So the fate is not entirely in your hands. So if you have, you know, three women in your age group that show up that are all really good, you may have the best race of your life, but unfortunately, two other women chose the same race. And you may have, you know, not the best race, but go to one where there's a bit less competition by luck of the draw that day and, and you may wind up getting it. So it it's a lot of, you know, training and it's a little bit of luck when it gets down to getting a spot to go back to Kona.
0: Six seconds. And I don't want to bring up a, a bad beat, but one, uh, one of my philosophies, I suppose, is when, when I lose and I, I know that I, I just got my ass handed to me, they were clearly the better competitor, but when it comes down to six seconds, it's it's so close, and you just have to remind yourself that you still did everything right, and it just it came down to the the luck of the draw on that day.
2: Yeah, that six second one is painful a little bit, I must admit. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it was a good race. It was 2013 uh, Ironman Malta, and it was a good race. And my kids were there. Uh, my mom was there, so uh, it would have been just a cherry on top to get the spot at Kona. And I nearly got it because the woman in front of me the night of the race said, no, no, I'm not going to go to Kona. Like, it's just too much. So I just went to bed that night thinking I might, I might, I might, I might. And then the next morning, her coach had basically said, are you crazy? You got to go, <laughs> girl. You got <laughs> you you go to go to Kona.
0: You don't want to yeah. see if you can make it. You don't have to go once you qualify, but...
2: yeah." There's a bunch of kind of life lessons there, definitely, you know, taking my life savings, my kids kind of university life savings. And at that point I was still single and I've been for 10 years. So it's not easy raising kids in Toronto and managing your home and and all that. But I took a big chance and it started with, you know, an idea after reading a book on a plane. And then as we kind of chat the PowerPoint and then samples, and then I, you know, I kind of gave up my, my income and Plunged full in, and I was just very, very fortunate to kind of be on to a big idea the idea that we've, you know, all been misled for 40 years. Mm -hmm. And Nina, who wrote the book, Nina Teichholz, who wrote the book, did the hard work. I just kind of read the book and said, Whoa, wait a minute. You know, someone has to share the word other than all these kind of scientists and doctors who are writing books someone like myself, a marketer has to share the word and get the word out that, you know, fats were not the culprits. Sugar is, still is. And we have an obesity crisis and we have to stop eating sugar and reduce carbs, reduce processed. And there's lots of good fats in there. And good fats are part of you know, a healthier diet that can really kind of make a difference on your health. And we'll talk about the science of, of keto diet in a little bit, but I just wanted to get the word out and uh, no better way to, to get the word out than to have your brand in thousands and thousands of stores and, you know, have your brand name, have the word fats in it. So it was pretty bold and brave back then. You know, there was no brand names with the word fats in it no
0: there was lots of fat free on the label but nobody was promoting healthy fats
2: no you would shy away from it right
0: maybe the avocado lobbyists but that was about it
2: even that you know like who knows probably tried to shy away from i mean i was raised and i was at you know weight watchers too and i was raised to you know to know that fats have seven calories instead of four and You know, anything that has fats has more points than something that doesn't. And, you know, the whole list goes on. So uh, it was not a good word. And now, you know, we've, you know, my brand is one of many helping to reclaim and especially, you know, good and fats. Like it's really kind of key to reintroduce these essential fatty acids in our body. I've deprived for so long, we've all kind of, many of us have followed low-fat diets. And uh, I don't know, the long-term impacts on my health, we'll kind of find out. But I've been re-injecting good fats now in a big way, and it's turned my health around. I had cardiovascular disease, I had high blood pressure, which unfortunately I wasn't able to to, to stop and slow down. And and only with moving to a low, hardly any sugar and a low-carb diet, that I've been able to get off my meds and uh, I had, you know, digestive issues for years and years. Like the, I just couldn't, you know, without prescription meds, I couldn't get through my days. And now I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm back to just a low carb diet and you know, a little bit of magnesium and a few probiotics and I'm good.
0: Yeah. That's so good to hear a good friend of mine. He was in his twenties and his doctor said, you might want to start thinking about some blood pressure medication. And he said, Mm -hmm. not in my twenties. Like, this is my fault. Uh, let me give me six months to try to fix this on my own, or at least make it better. And he did, and it's still like he's very sensitive about what he what he eats, and it was just a major wake up call to him and and to me as well. I'd love to hear a little bit about the keto diet before we bring it back to to the business, and just really what are some of the good fats? Because I, I if I had three wishes, one of them would be things that are unhealthy for you are actually healthy. So I could eat cheese and ice cream all day, but I, I don't think that those are necessarily the the best kinds of fats. What are the good fats? And what kind of fats do you use in in your products? And just what should consumers be looking for?
2: So the whole topic of fats, a keto diet, what diets, plant-based diets, what diets are best for you is, is a really big loaded kind of question. There's a lot of diets or just way to eat, you know, nutrition plans out there and there's a lot of and there's not necessarily one size fits all. So someone who has a lot of intolerances or allergies will react better to one way of eating and one nutrition plan than others. And that's why there's a lot of personalized nutritionists and programs and plans. So with that kind of big caveat, the keto diet has wind up doing really, really well in, in North America and across the world, but really taken off in North America in the last couple of years. And for a couple of reasons is one is that for the majority of people, it works really well to help you feel better. And it's now has, you know, full two plus year clinical study showing it reverses diabetes for the majority of participants. So It's kind of the first time ever that a diet has reversed diabetes. And now there's over a hundred clinicals fielded for cancer, Alzheimer's. There's some unbelievable preliminary learnings on, you know, how good fats can either prevent or start reversing the signs of the mental illnesses associated with Alzheimer's, et cetera, as you age. And then inflammation, of course. So there's a, you know, and there's a bunch of doctors who are writing, better books and more savvy on the science, we we happen to kind of work closely with Nina, who does a lot of research. That being said, it has potential to help with the significant uh, metabolic diseases that we're facing and the massive issues that are associated with inflammation and obesity. So that's kind of one thing. The other thing is, it's a really nice kind of way to eat. In the ketogenic diet, you're allowed to indulge in good fats. And what you really just are trying to watch is to reduce your carbs and your sugar. And in an ideal way, you're 80 85% eating good fats and then only 25 grams or so of, of carbs. And aim for zero sugar, really so i'm mostly low carb it's really hard to just be on keto all the time but even if you're nearly there and more on a low carb diet like i am there's still major uh, health benefits so you know when you get to eat foods that taste pretty good so our products love good fats. Are loaded with some really kind of healthy uh, plant-based type of fats, with the coconut oils and the and the butters, and therefore it's you know saturated fats and omega threes. You know I'm personally a big fan of all saturated fats and, and omega threes overall. So the fishes um, and of course you know uh, eggs and butter and meats. Uh, what I try to avoid, and I think we should, would not be in the good fats camp is obviously trans fats, which are banned, but can sneak in in small quantities. Um, all the uh, vegetable oils, which are ultra processed and create a lot of damage as, as you kind of consume them and fried stuff is, is really changes the molecular uh, kind of state of fats and, and are, are really not good. And it takes quite a few days for your body to to recover and repair from fried stuff. So there's a lot of range. Saturated fats are still highly debated. from the government perspective with all these groups trying to kind of show the food group, the food guides that saturated fats and coconut oils and palm oils and and what we find in in eggs and butters is actually really good and not linked to the cardiovascular diseases that were claimed over the last 40 years.
0: Um, That's just such a good reminder to myself of Uh, And hopefully anyone listening to that, if you can't really squeeze it and have an oil come out like you could with an avocado or a coconut, what vegetable does the vegetable oil come from? If you squeeze carrots, oil doesn't come out. So it's it's clearly something that's kind of, I'll choose my words wisely, but it's just kind of something to approach with a, a good, a healthy dose of skepticism.
2: The vegetable oils and margarines and stuff, and I, and I don't I don't want to get in too much trouble, but the you know you just have to see how they they're processed. Just kind of Google like the on YouTube, like the production facilities, and look at how vegetable oils are processed. And there's many many steps, and there's no kind of science saying that these you know don't have any issues in terms of health impact. Like you know it's really best to stick with natural good fats and uh, the omegas or the saturated that you can find in just in foods without being processed. Cause you know, once you start kind of having multiple levels of processing, you know, at the end of the day, we're all finding out that there's, there's implications to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to touch on a, a couple of, of the business related questions of first, what was the biggest hurdle for you in launching love, good fats?
2: Well, the biggest hurdle in the launch was really getting the product made. It's really hard to combine lots of good fats and fiber without having the binding agent that sugar and carbs provides. And that's why you have a lot, a lot of bars and snacks that are made with lots of sugar and carbs because those are binders. And when you're making products and you don't want anything artificial and no preservatives and you just want them to be clean, uh, you know, ours are non-GMO ingredients, they have to kind of hold together. And to hold together, and they're not cooked products, right? They're just kind of pulled together. And to be shelf stable, you need to have binding agents like chocolate bars, you know, full of sugar to help the the chocolate bind with the carbs. So when I first kind of came up with the idea and I wrote the concept and then the product brief, and I started going to kitchen labs and to then co-packers, they were like, well, we know how to make protein bars. We don't know how to make fat bars. Like they all told me, you know, every single call of the 30 calls, like what's gonna hold them together? And it was really, really difficult. In the end, I had to work with two gentlemen that had PhDs in lipids and were experts uh, internationally in terms of how fats and lipids behave to help me kind of figure out the optimal recipe so that you, you know, you wouldn't have just a puddle of kind of liquid kind of fats. Like you would have a, you know, shelf stable, preservative free, clean ingredient bar that wasn't loaded with carbohydrates or sugars. A lot of other things were hard, you know, we've raised a lot of angel money. And, you know, I'm, you know, if you don't have like rich friends and family, it's hard to raise angel. It's even harder, I think in Canada, and as it's just like, it's a more difficult industry and startups are are much harder here. There's less money to kind of start up and the market's a bit smaller. So there's a lot of other hurdles, but that one certainly uh, was the hardest.
0: That's not what I was expecting, but I can absolutely see see why that is. And I remember as in an interview I heard with you talking about driving around in your uh your car and you had to go to get a cooler because the your ac wasn't working and the bars were melting and when you were mentioning mixing fat and flavor i'm thinking well i mean you could just keep it refrigerated but obviously not because that's gonna be even harder to get into into stores you you have zero e-commerce ability or not zero but it's a lot harder to do uh refrigeration Shipping, and that's really where I I want to take it home. What advice would you give to uh, another foodpreneur who is looking to to get started in in the CPG industry and hopefully get? If if I could have ten percent of your your success and do four point seven million a year in sales, I'd be be thrilled with that. So, what would you say to to me if I said, Susie, how can I get to four point seven million dollars in sales? What advice would you give me?
2: The advice I'm giving all of the, the entrepreneurs that are reaching out, and I'm, I have more requests than time, so I'm, I'm hoping to be able to give back soon enough, maybe with a podcast or kind of some Zoom training so I can reach a larger audience all at once, uh, because I do want to be able to share more insights in terms of what's key. But the biggest piece of feedback is really to sweat out your positioning what is your brand all about? And that goes from, you know, the compelling consumer insight and the need that the brand is filling that your competitors are not filling Uh, the brand name, the benefit, like what's in it for the consumer, the consumer, she wants to know, you know, why would I buy your brand? What's in it for her? And then the reason she should believe that your benefit is true and will meet that for her. And, um, I think, Think with entrepreneurs who don't have my background of 30 years now and building brands and marketing a very CPG, like lifelong approach of sweating the positioning part is they can be awesome and so many elements of, you know, figuring out how to bring it to market and the operations and the financials and figuring out all these problems. But the size of your brand will be determined by your positioning and your positioning really kind of starts with the insight, understanding the competitors and the consumer, uh, you know, your five C's and the insight and the, the solution you're providing. So to spend a, the most time up front on making sure your positioning is optimized. And then the product just has to deliver on the positioning. The price value, you know, the three P's, the price value has to be right so that you can make a margin, right? Like it, it you kind of have to have the right price for what this positioning promises the consumer. And then after that it's execution. So once you have positioning, product, price value, then it's about execution and from you know hiring the right people to making sure you have the right product to getting listed, getting on the shelf and awareness and trial and more distribution. That's all execution. But the strategy part is positioning product price value and positioning is usually the hardest. Product is often less hard. In our case, it was very hard. But positioning is kind of really key. And that will determine, you know, the size of the prize. So the bigger your idea is in terms of positioning, the more it has potential to scale if you get the execution of it right. Wow. that all makes sense.
0: No, it absolutely does. And on season one, my friend Wes Barker and I, we talked about Houdini, the the magician mm-hmm. It was kind of while I was still figuring out what I wanted to do with the podcast. And I realized I should probably stick to what I know, which is uh, e-commerce and, and CPG. But one of the things about Houdini is that he, he, yes, he was a very good magician put in the work, but he was often credited as being a better presenter of magic. And I think that just ties in so nicely with what you said, or rather you put it so much better of focusing on your positioning and really what makes you unique to your customers? Why should they care? And what's in it for for them?
2: Absolutely. And there's a lot of ways that have been kind of optimized through the the CPG, the consumer packaged goods community and, and market for years. There's ways to get consumer research, therefore input from consumers that will kind of increase your confidence. You know, focus groups are just small qualitative research, but there's ways to get quantitative research done that will help you optimize. Because sometimes you're not sure, or sometimes you don't see what you don't see. Mm-hmm. And a few rounds of, you know, practical cost-effective research will steer you in the best direction and, and that's worth it. As an entrepreneur, I've, like, I'm a walking thesis in consumer research because not only did I do lots of, it's called concept research. Not only did I do a lot to optimize, optimize, and we're still doing some now, whether it's packaging or, or all the innovation. But as a, an entrepreneur and a founder, you're also soaking up consumer research in, in demos, consumer shows. I've done thousands and thousands. I've had Probably a hundred thousand interaction with consumers by this point in time. You know that's all a gift that often in larger companies, you don't have one single person being so touched by direct consumer feedback and insight. And then you just have to make sense of everything you're hearing and know and know what is kind of one-offs versus what is a more meaningful kind of undercurrent of feedback that you need to take and run with in terms of either addressing an issue or something that's holding you back or jumping in quickly into something that's going to be big, um, which you know we've done again and again as we've launched the first round in 17 and then innovated, evolved packaging, change recipes, evolved packaging, evolved again, and line extended into chewy nutty, et cetera, et cetera. You just kind of you want to have your ear to the consumer in addition to doing some research to optimize your positioning and stay on top of it.
0: I think that's a, uh, a wonderful place to, to wrap it up Susie. So thank you so much for, for joining me. Where can people find you summer 2021? What do you have going on with Love Good Fats that you, you hope people will, will check out?
2: Find Love Good Fats at our website, LoveGoodFats.com.ca. Uh, we're also on Amazon, uh, but definitely visit our website. We just kind of updated a new website. It's easier to to see all of our good products and shop around. We prior to COVID, we were in you know hundreds of consumer shows in Canada and the U.S and doing demos and stores and stuff. So that's all kind of slowed down. So the best way to find us right now is on social media or on our website. So you can follow us on Instagram, follow me on LinkedIn, you know, pop in and have a look at our brand and join our mailing list. And, you know, you'll kind of follow along our, our exciting journey.
0: That's a wrap on episode one, Thank you so much to Amal Delish, producer of Rolled Up. Thank you to Susie York for joining me. It's always such an inspiration when I get the opportunity to chat with somebody who has grown so fast. I believe Susie said she grew her business to about $47 million of revenue in only a few years, which goes to show you're not that far away from success no matter where you are. Even the sport that we talked about, triathlon, Ironman competitions all over the world, an Olympic sport for the last 20 years, it was only invented in 1974 when, towards the end of September, a cyclist, a swimmer, and a runner decided to have a well-friendly competition to see who was more fit. And if you prefer to grab a drink after cycling or maybe hang out by the pool instead of doing laps all day, well, next episode is for you where I am joined by a very exciting up and coming entrepreneur. You might know him as just Paul Miller on Twitter. He is the co founder of Freshly Cocktails in a Can. We sit back and chat about how he got started during the pandemic and what the last few months have looked for him as he launches his premium fresh cocktails to go. That bell means it's quitting time. I've got one rolled up. I hope you do too. And if you haven't left a review or at least share this episode with your mother-in-law, you'd be a lot cooler if you did. Head over to Instagram and check your direct messages. I will bet you 100 Canadian dollars you have customers trying to get in touch with you in your DMs. Well, good news, Gorgeous integrates with Instagram so you can communicate with your customers where they are. If you've got between 10,000 and 100,000 followers on Instagram, good news, Gorgeous Instagram DMs are finally here, head to gorgeous.com, ask for the Lucas Walker special, you get two months free Steel switched to OmniSend and immediately saw a lift in revenue. They started automating their welcome series, card abandonment series, and their post-purchase messaging. Just like Baking Steel is the perfect upgrade for your kitchen, OmniSend is the perfect upgrade for your Shopify store's marketing automation. 70,000 customers from home and kitchen brands to consumables and everything in between trust OmniSend. If you're not using a marketing automation platform that connects directly with Shopify, what are you waiting for? Don't leave revenue on the table, this BFCM.